out there. We're on the air. Time for another podcast from Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers. All about providing information to find your way through the roller coaster ride called life. I'm Christine, one of your hosts and a stroke survivor. My own roller coaster ride has had a few loop de loops, but I'm so lucky to be able to share with you some of the things I've learned. Me and the whole Seven Jars team wants to help you on your own ride and let you know you're not alone. Join the conversation. Welcome to Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers, Season 3, Episode 2. Yawn. (sighs) Holy, you're making me yawn. Hello, this is Ken. The information, conversations, and advice provided by Christine and Ken, the hosts of the podcast Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers, are not a substitute for the advice and treatment plan provided by your own healthcare professional. Further, it's not intended to be an adjunct to any existing or proposed advice or treatment plan you may currently be receiving from your healthcare professional. Each individual, their family, and their own journey is truly unique. The information provided through the podcast and from guests is general in nature and solely intended to let listeners know that they are not alone, that there are resources available to them, and to provide information for rehabilitation and treatment. Please discuss your own personal needs and circumstances with your healthcare provider. You can join the conversation on YouTube and Facebook at Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers for our video version of the podcast. You can check out our website at sevenjarsofhotpickledpeppers.com or you can download our podcasts on iTunes or Podbean. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Seven Jars. Now it's time for Quote of the Cast. Treat energy the same way you treat money. It's a finite resource that needs to be wisely managed and invested. Dan DePenny. My days were brimming with activities, things to do, lists to accomplish. I regularly got up at 5.15 and didn't stop until after 9 p.m. And I liked it that way. Although I dreamed of holidays, when we did take one, I jammed it full of touristy activities. We never missed a thing. Even my fast walking pace reflected my desire to do as much as possible in the time I had. Fast forward to the present post-stroke me. Ken has to watch his pace, so he doesn't get too far ahead of me. I have to take breaks and watch repeated TV shows. I've never watched so much TV as I have since my stroke. When I get tired, it's a full-body physical and mental takeover that incapacitates me. And I know what tired looks like, feels like. Well, at least I thought I did. I used to work 12-hour shift work, switching from days to nights. I sometimes played gigs until 1 in the morning and then went to work the next day. 
I knew how to manage tiredness, get through it successfully. Post-stroke fatigue is an entirely different animal, one I'm still learning how to cope with. Introducing today's guest. Dr. Siddiqui completed his research and clinical fellowships in stroke at the University of Alberta and is a stroke neurologist at the Grey Nuns Community Hospital. He also travels to Camrose, Alberta, lending his expertise at their stroke clinic. He is sensitive to the fact that having a stroke redefines a patient's sense of self and well-being and believes that a collaborative approach is essential to successful treatment and rehabilitation. Hello, Dr. Siddiqui. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your knowledge on post-stroke fatigue. But first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, Christine, thank you so much for allowing me the privilege uh, to join your greater family of stroke advocates and educators. Um, it's really a pleasure to speak with you today. Um, uh, I am a neurologist and uh, my special area of interest um, is stroke. Right. And, um, and I am always inspired to be here in Camrose at our um, uh, heart function and stroke prevention clinic that has um, been such an oasis of advocacy um, uh, with a community that, like yourself, um, is really invested in uh, the vascular health of the patients here um, in uh, rural Alberta. Um, when I'm not enjoying the, the, the special ambiance here in Camrose, um, I'm uh, in the Greater Edmonton area at uh, the Grey Nuns and the University Hospitals. Okay. So some traveling for you. Barefoot neurologist. <laughs> Have brain, will travel. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So I wonder if you could just, you know, what, what is post-stroke fatigue? Yeah. Well, I think um, before even defining it, I, I did want to say that it is an underappreciated um, uh, symptom of stroke. Um, it refers to the, the generalized sense of lassitude and, as the name would suggest, fatigue right. um, that isn't necessarily um, uh, related to the challenges precipitated by the specific functional deficits that a stroke patient may have in the early phases of the rehabilitative journey. Okay. Um, and so it is often counterintuitive that it should be such a pervasive symptom of stroke and is often under the radar um, for a lot of our patients who aren't really prepared for just how their sense of, well, 
putting it colloquially, their sense of pep has mm. been so eroded, and uh, the and how um, the stroke has really disproportionately knocked the wind out of their sails. Is something right. I've been uh, told quite often. But similarly, it's often underappreciated amongst caregivers, family members who are as much a part of the rehabilitative journey, and even practitioners alike. So it refers to that symptom of uh, fatigue that occurs after a stroke and, uh, and is truly an, an underappreciated um, hurdle that um, many of our, our stroke patients struggle with. Absolutely. And, and you know, it, it seems to be one of the many invisible mm-hmm. kind of ailments that people undergo mental health or all these types of things are, are invisible. Yes. So, so is, is stroke similar to being tired or is it a completely different animal? Well, that's really uh, also a good question. I think, and even the fact that you're asking it alludes to perhaps some of the reflex perceptions we have about stroke. Um, we tend to perceive stroke in its most dramatic presentations. Um, and, and indeed, of course, those are challenging um, and precipitate a, a, a and impose on patients um, many challenges of uh, that protracted period of rehabilitation. But the whole spectrum of, of deficits varies so widely. Yeah. Um, because as you know, a stroke is simply an, a, a vascular event um, affecting an area of the brain. Mm-hmm. And that can vary in its extent and in its distribution with its symptoms varying accordingly. They can be as subtle as uh, feeling tongue-tied to being as dramatic as being unable to move or communicate verbally. Um, There can be just the most subtle degree of clumsiness, for example, um, as you're uh, manipulating your keyboard that you've noticed, etc. So we, we tend to first and foremost think of stroke as being the dramatic loss of function, which of course it is. Right. And, uh, and I'm actually very grateful that over the past decade or so, given the, um, the degree of increasing public awareness and education, that it has grown increasingly less common for us as frontline physicians who look after stroke patients to contend with the tragic circumstance where a patient wakes up in the middle of the night unable to move half of their body and then nonetheless still casually decides to sleep it off. Reassuringly, we don't see much as much of that anymore. But um, nonetheless, a lot of that awareness revolves around that focal deficit. Just think of our acronym as well that mm-hmm. we've popularized, right? Yes. Face, arms, speech, time. Right. right. Right? So what may 
be contributing to that conceptual bias is that we perceive the deficits and challenges of stroke as being due to what one might have previously referred to as handicap fatigue. What I, I, I prefer to use the term exertional fatigue, where the fatigue is perceived as being related to surmounting the deficits that an individual has. Okay. And once those deficits are gone, well, you know, let's celebrate those milestones and move on. Sure. Okay. Um, in much the same way that certain cognitive aspects of stroke and mood-related and mental health-related aspects of stroke are part and parcel of that underappreciated, or the word you used was the invisible, mm -hmm. long-standing challenges associated with stroke. Post-stroke fatigue, similarly, is often underappreciated. And it's worthwhile su suggesting then, perhaps, when we're speaking to the medical aspects of the syndrome, that conceptually, we like to think of it in terms of being of two phases or two types. Oh, interesting. There's early post-stroke fatigue, um, which is felt to be related to a lot of the biological factors associated with the whole process of neurologic injury, early neurologic injury associated with stroke. Okay? okay. Think about how miserable you feel when you have the flu. Yes. Okay? Especially as a man. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, so even if it's a flu with a, a lowercase rather than a capital F, right? <laughs> and And... And why is that, that we feel so miserable with illness in general? It's due to the demands, the energetic demands on our body as we are struggling to fight disease. It's due to the elaboration of inflammatory mediators in our body that are part and parcel of that period of recovery, but that contribute to all those symptoms that make us feel not just stuffy, but tired. Right. As well. And, and, and groggy and, and, and such. So when the earliest phases of a stroke occurs, there is a cascade of, of, of reactions that occur biochemically and physiologically in, in which a lot of these uh, factors are released throughout your body. Hmm. And, and, and certainly within the local environment or microenvironment of the brain itself, okay? Sure. Um, and so there is a sense of fatigue due to this neurologic impairment, not just from the specific area that's affected in the stroke, but that more broadly affects the brain's function in the immediate wake of a stroke due to these cascade-like processes. Hmm. Um, so that's the first component of post-stroke fatigue. Okay. Okay? This early post-stroke fatigue. And, and this will be within the first six to eight weeks, first couple of weeks primarily. Um, and then 
late post-stroke fatigue. That's a different kind of fatigue. Interesting. And that is often seen after people have endured their their robust period of rehabilitation. Right. After they've already gone through boot camp. <laughs> yes. Okay? And after we've done all that we can in the early phases to try to encourage as robust a recovery as possible. Mm-hmm. Okay? And again, this seems counterintuitive because now the clumsiness may have resolved, the gait may have improved. Sure. Okay? The dexterity and strength, overt strength, may have improved. And we celebrate those milestones. And what is seen then is when patients then return home, um, or return to work, mm-hmm. that it's 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 like the last four kilometers of that marathon. Yeah. All of a sudden, you've no hit worse. a wall again, <laughs> and and uh, and people are unprepared for it. So this late post-stroke fatigue is seen in that two to three month period after a stroke, when people are transitioning back into the community, mm-hmm. back into their leisurely activities, their personal and basic activities, and certainly their professional activities. Right. And so it's very important for patients and employers and caregivers to appreciate this. Right. Absolutely. In, in your experience, have, well, and it, it's an unfair question because Every person is an individual, and every stroke, I suspect, is very individualistic. So, so to ask, is, is post-stroke uh, fatigue common? Mm-hmm. Can that even be answered? I, is that pretty, yes. pretty regular that well, somebody is going to encounter? Say, well, everybody should technically go through phase one, and then that phase two, does, does most everyone experience that as well? It's, wow. it's very common amongst our stroke patients. Wow. Do you see patients without the post-stroke fatigue? Yes, we will see some patients where um, that process, shall we say, is um, that trajectory of recovery is very robust and accelerated. So these will be our patients who have a robust pre-stroke state of health, our younger patients, and also have more minor deficits, but not invariably so, Mm -hmm. right? Even patients, as I said, where a lot of the more dramatic deficits may have resolved Mm -hmm. will still experience just that sense of of, uh, generalized lassitude and fatigue, certainly Mm -hmm. in those first six to eight weeks, and then often even when they're returning to work. Right, so in your experience, is there any set or expected timeline for how long this fatigue can last? Yeah, I think that um, if an individual has um, is amongst those fast responders or resolvers, if you will, right. you'll know in that period of rehabilitation by gauging oh, okay. their participation, and they'll endorse whether or not they feel that. 
because when you feel it, you know, and it's often endorsed. If asked for, patients often don't volunteer it because, again, they're they're fixated or on their um, more dramatic uh, deficits and the challenges associated with them, right. and um, and quite often won't confide the sense of fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, but many will. Um, okay. If they don't, I'm just um, throwing it out there that always put it on your personal checklist mm-hmm. to inquire about it, mm-hmm. like some of the other invisible factors that you refer to in the wake of stroke, like sure. post-stroke depression, etc. Mm-hmm. But um, if they have, um, if they're endorsing it um, uh, in that early phase, I, I do. A, reassure them Mm -hmm. that it is a a natural part of the trajectory of recovery and that they should incorporate that into their um, uh, their rehabilitative journey. Once you have returned to your activities of daily living, there's a real motivation among some patients. And I counsel my patients in that setting to strike a balance between what is gratifying Mm -hmm. and productive versus what ends up becoming exhaustive and actually begins to adversely impact your rehabilitation. You speak wise words. (laughs) I know I've struggled with that myself. has there been any research into um, what the causes of this fatigue? I think the bigger questions sort of surround, as as was mentioned, you know, every case is different, and and the studies are looking at sort of a heterogeneous group of patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are questions, greater questions, that surround late post-stroke fatigue, and. It's felt to be a type of what has been called handicap fatigue in certain other neurologic disorders, where it is felt to be related to the increased energy demands on the body when people return to the real world, so to speak. Um, There's only so many scenarios that we're able to simulate with the the sense of... um, uh, rigor sure. in the rehabilitative environment before mm-hmm. patients are really put back into the real world. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, in, in, in respect to that, that idea, um, should a person try and push through mm-hmm. or 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 not or hold back or you know it's interesting because christine yeah. um she tried to push through yeah and uh wow the next day the impacts yeah they were huge i agree and even now it's it's very interesting to see that i agree again it's it's a it's a personalized treatment plan for each patient um in a patient who has a good um, trajectory of recovery 
in otherwise very isolated, discrete deficits, like a mild weakness, for example, mm -hmm. um, on one side. Mm -hmm. Problems with gait and dexterity and mobility, no mood-related issues, no cognitive or speech-related issues, mm -hmm. very discrete deficits, um, and, um, and a, an associated component of fatigue. In that case, then, uh, you can try to come up with a regime that balances the needs to want to stimulate what we call the, the neuronal plasticity right. in that early phase of recovery where it's felt that more is more. For sure. With what is sustainable uh, for the patient right. to, as I said, to ensure that you don't end up so tiring yourself out that you are unable to productively participate for the next day or even couple of days. Absolutely. Right? And, 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 and most experienced physiatrists and rehabilitative staff are very sensitive to this. Um, and, and their inpatient and outpatient regimes are structured accordingly. Right. But it's just important to ensure that that dialogue between patient and practitioner exists. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay? Right. Now, post-stroke fatigue can also be part of many other aspects of stroke. It can be a symptom of post-stroke depression, for example. It can also be part and parcel of certain strokes that are associated with an increased latency of, of, of motor function, for example. It can be associated with certain strokes that affect our sleep-wake cycle. Right. It can be associated with certain strokes that affect our level of alertness Absolutely. as well. So the treatment plan also needs to encompass those specific cases mm -hmm. and, and in certain cases where um, not just the rehabilitative, the logistics of the rehabilitative process um, are the sole consideration, but in those specific circumstances where where specific drug therapy may be a complementary part of that process as well. Which was a, a question that I actually have coming up here that I was going to ask you. You're just following this beautifully for me. <laughs> Appreciate all your help. <clears throat> you know, um, obviously uh, a stroke survivor needs to be very uh, involved in their team you know, their caregivers and their therapists and these type of people. And, you know, I was going to say, you know, who are the best people to talk to uh, about developing those strategies in terms of addressing this fatigue somehow? And, and you've, you've beautifully answered that for me. But my secondary question to that was, is there medic medications that can yeah. aid in this sort of a situation? Sure, sure. Um, we, we tend to be... I think the one that might be um, suggested uh, as as having both the greatest um, usage mm -hmm. uh, as well as utility is when post-stroke fatigue is associated with post-stroke depression. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and, and like post-stroke fatigue, post-stroke depression is felt not merely to be due to the emotional onslaught of a stroke, 
but has felt to have a biochemical basis as well Interesting. Um, associated with the structural alteration of the brain in certain types of stroke as well. Sure. Okay. Um, and consequently, it has been shown to respond to treatment and also is often underappreciated as well mm. because um, those feelings may off the emotional component shall we say of depression the mood related symptoms of depression can um, often be felt to be simply part of for want of a better word the grieving process True. or what are presumed to be a, a natural emotional response in the wake of a stroke but they are amenable to treatment and many of the different families of antidepressants have been tested in this patient population and have shown effectiveness right but importantly effective treatment of stroke de uh, post stroke depression and thank you for allowing me to straddle two soap boxes today <laughs> yeah actually um, that's it, fantastic it, you is, are is is that is that its effective treatment does uh, improve prognosis very good. Okay, as it does in other vascular syndromes, like even heart attack, for example. So, right. So that's one place, for example, where pharmacotherapy um, in the setting of post-stroke fatigue is uh, is beneficial. Right. Okay. Um, in other circumstances, uh, we have to be careful. Um, there are certain stroke syndromes where that level of alertness um, can be due to the structural involvement of centers in the brain can be markedly impaired. And in that setting, you know, one, there have been the investigation of the types of medications, for example, that have been used for attention deficit disorder. Um, uh, the amphetamine group of medications um, that have been used in the setting of various neurologic illnesses. Interesting. But the challenge is, is that they do tend to often be associated with um, potentially concerning increases in, in blood pressure as well, which is certainly something that we want to avoid moving no forward in stroke risk reduction for these patients. So uh, consideration of those uh, medications is rare. Um, uh, the other medications that have been utilized, again, related to specific strokes that are associated with structural impairment and an increased latency of motor responses um, that can appear to be a type of fatigue but really um, are a type of well increased motor latency if you will okay. and 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 <coughs> and there are various medications we have used or trialed in those patients um, uh, including some of the medications that have been otherwise used as treatment for our Parkinsonian patients. Um, uh, but I would say that for the most part, 
um, a, a shared strategy of um, paying special consideration to the logistics of the rehabilitative program as well as screening for occult post-stroke depression and treating it avidly, these two approaches, I think, will serve the vast majority of our stroke patients who may be at risk for the functional challenges of post-stroke fatigue. Well, that's fascinating. Absolutely. That's very fascinating. Thank you so much for all your words of wisdom. So lastly, um, any last words of encouragement for stroke survivors? I think that um, we always tend to say, indeed, even since I was in medical school, which was before the TPA era, right right on the cusp of the TPA era, actually, (laughs) is that that, um, improvement is always the rule. Can always count on some degree of improvement, and and our um, and, and the challenges. I mean, the the challenges to allow yourself to celebrate the small victories that are part and parcel of the rehabilitative journey, right. and um, and allow them to accumulate en route to the performance of very remarkable things um, that ensue. Not unlike what you're doing here today. (laughs) Well, thank you. Christine, if I may reiterate my thanks, not only for having me today, but indeed for just the, as I said, the impassioned sense of advocacy that you bring to your um, commitment to stroke education in the community. Now, you probably already know it all. I suspect you ferreted out every little bit of information about resources that are available. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I did contact my colleagues in Regional Stroke, and they have forwarded me a, a summary of community resources that are available. Really? Um, it's, uh, it's about a 25-page document. Right. And so perhaps I could just forward it to you by email, mm-hmm. and you can disseminate those resources if you haven't already. I would be honored to do that, and thank you. Yeah, we're all on a journey. We're all students and teachers, so thank you for teaching us today. Not at all. My pleasure. So, to reiterate Dr. Siddiqui's wise words, allow yourself to celebrate all the small victories on your journey through recovery. Did you know that you can follow us on Twitter at 7jars? We post daily with all the latest stroke research, innovation, and inspiration. Follow us. Hey, Christine, have you ever noticed how sometimes if you just change your perspective a little bit, it it, it sheds a whole new light on a situation? Hey, that's true, Ken. You know, one one such thing that I try and do all the time, you know, I I don't call the bathroom the John anymore. I call it the gym. You know why? (laughs) Why, Ken? Well, because... That way, it sounds better when I say I go to the gym first thing every morning. Oh, Ken. (laughs) Now it's time for our segment on survivor stories. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to share your own stroke or survival story, or your experience as a caregiver, you can submit your story through our website at 7 Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers. 
or personal message us on Facebook. We look forward to reading your story. Today, Rachel shares her story as a young survivor of stroke, read by Christine. I was 34 years old, raising my kids, working full-time, enjoying life to the fullest. I knew my life was stressful, trying to balance everything. I was busy, but I thought this was the way it was supposed to be. I began having some warning signs, but it never occurred to me I could be having a stroke. When I finally got help, I thought my life was over. I was paralyzed on my left side. I could only use one hand. When I tried to move my left side, my muscles were tight and stiff. It was painful. Rehab was slow and painful. I had to think and plan for every action I wanted to do. I had to relearn everything, even tying my shoes. I kept at it and saw some success. I'll never be what I used to be. And I've had to accept my new limits. But I've learned to spend my energy, my efforts, on what I love the most, instead of just being busy. Thank you, Rachel, for your story and your wise words. And now it's time for Simply Put. Hey, this is Christine. Here's the simple answers to questions you may have about stroke or your brain. These answers are from my personal experience with stroke and in no way replace the care and advice from your own healthcare provider. I'm no doctor, and sometimes I need simple answers to my question. So here's Simply Put. So tell me, are there different types of strokes? Well, there are many types of strokes, but Simply Put, here's three of the more common ones. The first and most common is an ischemic stroke, a blockage of blood leading to the brain. The second and less common is caused by blood vessels in the brain bleeding directly into brain tissue. The third type is called a TIA and is sometimes called a warning stroke. It's the same as the blockage or ischemic stroke, but is temporary and usually lasts less than an hour. TIAs are sometimes called mini strokes. And that's That's Simply Put. Fast. Recognizing the signs of stroke can be the first step to getting the best treatment for yourself or someone you love. Use the word fast to help you to remember. Face, is it drooping? Arms, can you raise both? Speech, is it slurred or jumbled? Time, call 911 right away. Don't drive yourself to the hospital. The ambulance can help you en route and will take you to where you need to be. Fast. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Or if you have any questions, comments, jokes, or ideas for future topics, contact us at our website, 7jarsofhotpickledpeppers.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to hear more about Christine's journey, please check out the website. Her book is available for purchase. Thanks for joining us. 
Remember today's quote, and spend your energy wisely and on things that bring you joy. Goodbye and good health.